Skincare is one of those areas where I think you're either really into it or you're keeping things pretty simple. Either way, I'm sure you've found yourself in Sephora or Mecca or even the chemist and been absolutely overwhelmed by the number of products on the shelves. It's baffling. Don't worry though, I've got your bag. Today, we're gonna to set you up with the perfect skincare routine. Victoria Fu and Gloria Liu are the creators of The Chemist Confessions and the authors of Skincare Decoded. They met while working as skincare formulation chemists for L'Oreal, so they really know their stuff. We're going straight to the top for this one. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. Oh man, thanks for having us, Ed. We're happy to be here. Yeah, and I can vouch you both look absolutely flawless, so I have to know all your secrets. It's the lighting. <laughs> it's just no lighting. way I can tell. <laughs> I know good lighting. I have good lighting and that's not it. You look great. So tell me, you're both chemists, yes. but it sounds like you're responsible for coming up with the formulations for some of the really big products that we've probably all used. Yes, in some aspects. So I would say definitely for, you know, traditional um, beauty, a lot of the concept is actually dictated by marketing trends. Um, and so the chemist comes in and kind of puts those concepts into a real product. And it's not just the formula that you make on a bench, tiny badge. You're looking at how to do that in the correct packaging to make sure that it actually can survive its entire shelf life and it sits on your bathroom and is conti continues to be safe and works well for your skin. Um, we also get to interact with like a lot of departments that Gloria had mentioned, um, one of them being trying to figure out how to do scale up properly because to go from a lab bench formula to maybe like a one ton bash has a lot of issues that you can face. So um, I would say the journey is is actually a lot bigger for a chemist than some people might actually think. Um, and a lot of it has to do with QAQC and just making sure that you know, we want to make sure every product on every shelf does hold up. And that's actually pretty hard, right? There's so many products out there. So many, so much volume. Yeah, absolutely. I've never even thought of that before, but it's so true that all these cares. And that's really interesting that um, a lot of what you're making is driven by trends, particularly relevant for today's conversation to actually figure out what we should be using, not what's like the latest marketing. Things. So tell me, what do you guys, what are your essentials to a great skincare routine? What's absolutely must have? Uh, actually, one of the first things that we did in the book is we wanted people to take a step back from all the noise and thousands of products you see on shelves because you people get distracted by, you know, jazzy walking words like serum, press serum, ampules. What does it all mean? Do I need a toner and a serum? And we try to tell people to, if nothing else, focus on the three core pillars of skincare, which is just um, uh, cleanse, moisturize, and sun protection. If you have these three bases covered, you are doing uh, your skin a solid foundation already um, before you even think about fancy words like anti-aging, hyperpigmentation, take care of skin barrier with these three steps, you are 90% of the way there. Right. Interesting. And I read in the book that you used, that's about like 80% of what we can be doing for our skin in those three pillars, which is amazing. Yes. And I think a lot of times what we also point out in the book is that it is easy to get distracted. So when we say do these three steps, we mean it with 
consistency do it daily that really goes along with skincare um the two of us being in the industry we're guilty of having one too many products to try on our shelves so it's even hard for us to have a consistent routine to stick to but at the end of the day like if your core fundamentals of just these three steps um can set you up set you up for success a lot of times what happens is users skin is dynamic it's going to change based on where you move to maybe what's going on in your life your age and one of the biggest problems we were seeing was that users would panic in a way that suddenly nothing's working and i need to hard set my routine and throw out all of that history and work that was done previously so um, the idea behind, you know, having this foundation is that should anything happen, you understand that this is your core base, your safety net. And, you know, the idea would be to be able to backtrack when you go back to these three and see how skin's doing and troubleshoot from there. A lot of times it's like Laura was saying, so it's so easy, like people at a candy shop to add 10 products to your routine. And it's hard to figure out exactly who is the culprit. And so that's the idea, like this can really serve as kind of that safe, that safe space for our skin. Yeah, yeah so interesting and really uh, reassuring too in that this, we don't have to go and buy everything and that's probably detrimental. No. Yeah, really reassuring. And so I want to get into those uh, like must-have ingredients in a second, but when we start um, creating our routine, and we introduce something new into it, how long will it take before we start seeing results and we know if what we're using is actually effective? That is a great question. If you are using something more like daily maintenance, like your cleanser, your moisturizer, you'll probably know within like a week if your skin likes it or not. Um, but if you're talking about say active ingredients, if you're looking for to tackle, uh, if you're looking to tackle your hyperpigmentation or something anti-aging, it's much, much longer. Um, from most ingredients, you won't really see a change um, unless you're using it consistently for about four weeks at least. But the reality is more visible changes come around the eight to 12 week mark. Um, so that's why one of the tips we do tell people is to be wary of companies that use lingo like, you know, wake up in 12 hours, you'll look 10 years younger. It's probably a visual effect. It's not exactly lasting benefits. Yeah, absolutely. So what are the products or things that we should absolutely be avoiding? If we've got those three concrete pillars, are there things that we should just not be doing? <laughs> I think the sometimes the issue is really just, there's, there's two sides. I think one of the things that um, we see happen a lot is um, when skin starts to cause a little trouble. You're starting to deal with maybe some irritation, dryness, it's changing. Um, we start seeing people throw everything at the wall. And that's very difficult because your skin's already going, having its struggles. And to suddenly onboard like five different treatments, it doesn't actually help. And you're not actually sure like what is contributing, helping, or maybe even making it worse. Um, so I'd say that's probably one thing to try not to do in kind of a skin, um, almost like uh, skin troubleshooting moment. Um, and then I think the other thing too is when you want to start getting into one of the probably aspects of um, getting into skincare is just trying to figure out like, oh, I've got a skin concern I want to tackle, whether it's acne, wrinkles, hyperpigmentation. 
same mentality, actually. Let's throw everything at it. And a lot of times, especially for things like acne, when you go too fast, too quickly, you're now dealing with an even more difficult situation where skin is completely oversensitized by what's going on. And it's tough because a lot of times, you know, when you work with a derm, especially for more serious cases of acne, the regimen is a lot stricter. And, and yes, there is that kind of like, um, at, at like skin, uh, you're kind of uh, dealing with the side effects and, you know, kind of dealing with those purging scenarios. But I think what happens is it's so easy to like want to just douse an acne lesion with BPO and salicylic acid and salicylic acid your face, you know, and, with, and cleanse your face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that is something that's really hard for us to want to just correct it quickly. But we also need to be kind to our skin because it's also trying here to like figure <laughs> itself out. Um, and I think that's that's really hard to do, especially in this like very marketing heavy world. Right. Yeah. Oh, big time. So let's go back to these basics. What should we be looking for in a good cleanser? First of all, how long is this podcast? (laughs) Because every product can be like a 30-minute conversation. It usually starts with, well, it depends on what you're looking for. (laughs) I will say we have more concrete answers in the other categories. Cleanser is very, very dependent on your own skin. Everywhere is incredibly personal. Um, so the good balance, of course, is to uh, find something that cleans thoroughly without irritating or stripping your skin. I think uh, we, at least I came from an era where you are trained to search for that squeaky clean feel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I think that's gone out of fashion, rightfully <laughs> so. Um, you definitely don't want to be looking for that feeling. But we get asked this all the time, which is, how do you know you're clean? Uh, your skin is thoroughly clean? Well, it's really hard to tell at home by yourself. You know, if you're, um, when, when we were formulating our cleanser at the blank slate, what we found is like time really matters. When you lather, lather thoroughly. Um, and when you wash, it, it, people are much better at picking up whether there's residue or not after cleansing. So those are kind of like the two things I will pay attention to. Um, I have really dry skin. So how I suss out a cleanser is I give it probably a good, three to four day use, I keep everything else in my routine the same, I will immediately notice if my skin becomes a little drier than usual. Um, so that's kind of a long about answer to how to sell cells uh, uh, a cleanser. Um, we have a hard time decoding ingredients for people in this field because the surfactant landscape is really, really wild. So if you find that you're irritated by a ton of cleansers out there, it might be time that you visit Derm to do some sort of allergen tests on surfactant systems that you should avoid because um, even though cleanser formulation is really diverse and very formula dependent, there are some like repeating things like common ingredients that maybe you find that you're allergic to in the end of the day. That is so helpful. I know you think that that's a broad answer, but it's actually genuinely very helpful. And so, yeah, no, really helpful because honestly, I when I was a kid, I used to have well, like up until I was like 25, I used to have really bad acne. And then finally I decided to go on Rakutane and like went down that route. Um, but the I was so bad for just like scrubbing and scrubbing <laughs> and scrubbing my skin. And that's definitely made it worse. So it's really good to know about that cleanser. So how, how about a moisturizer? What should we be looking for in a moisturizer? Are there certain ingredients or is it again very personal in terms of how you want your skin to feel? So... One thing that's probably not common knowledge is that 
there are actually different categories of moisturizing ingredients. Um, and that's how we look at it. And we actually, the moisturizer category was actually the reason why we created the, we, we launched Chemist Confession Skincare was because the idea of oily, normal, and dry, right, when you go search for moisturizer is like very archaic. And there's actually no chemist formulation rubric to tell you what that actually means. So if you want to shop for oily for one brand versus another, that could be wildly on different spectrums, right? So we the the thing is like um, there's actually three categories. So there's your water stuff. We call these humectants, things that are sound familiar, maybe like hyaluronic acid or glycerin. These are molecules that are going to want to like hold on to water, you know, um, and keep water to the skin, right? Um, the only problem is you can't just have this one component because skin water will evaporate. So, and the evaporation of water actually is what leads to dry skin. So this is when you actually need your oily substances. And there are actually two categories here. So there's your emollients. So these are your light plant oils, you know, things that you hear about that just generally light, very thin oils that are going to smooth the surface of skin, add some nourishing feel and glow, right? Then you also have your heavy duty waxes, butters, your petrolatum. So these are gonna be the occlusives they're actually going to seal that moisture um, into skin and prevent water from evaporating. So these are the three. And the idea is that you want to, I think the thing that makes it a little hard is that every skin might need different combinations of this, right? And one thing we've learned through our journey is that there are actually some moisturizers out there that are actually quite unbalanced, where you could actually get a really hard what feels like a very heavy cream and realize that you just actually don't have enough of the water components, right? So it this is where like, you know, we want, why we launched our moisturizer line was to allow people to, maybe they have a moisturizer that they like, right? Um, but maybe you go to a drier climate or you're encountering some skin change. Can they dial up one of these categories to hold them over through this skin change and then kind of adjust from there and ultimately give that moisturizing control back to the user right so in answering your question the idea would be that you want a balance of these three and so for me right i have the, the kind of beauty of our friendship is that i have the opposite skin type i have the acne oily cystic acne scenario right so i actually in my in my experience would need something that's a little more water humectant heavy maybe with a little less on the occlusive on, and I'll probably lean more on the oil emollient side, right? And then Gloria might actually want a little bit more on the occlusive. Maybe she loves a petrolatum at the end. So hopefully that gives some examples of how you could like rethink your moisturizer and, and troubleshoot if you need more or less. Totally makes sense. And so the other thing obviously that makes up the base of that pyramid that you guys talk about is the sunscreen. And this really interested me reading about the sunscreens on your uh, blog because not all sunscreens are created equal. Like I thought like if I go to the chemist and I just buy a sunscreen, then I'm sad. But what should I really be looking for in a sunscreen? That is a great question. This is a category where we tell people to not decode ingredient lists anymore unless you have a sensitivity to certain um, filter systems, then maybe you can 
um, pay attention to what filter system you shop for. But sometimes we'll get questions from people that say, hey, this has 12% zinc. Does that mean it works better than uh, the 10% zinc? Nope. Sunscreen is a category uh, whose the performance is very, very formulation dependent. And they are some of the most finicky, most difficult uh, formulations you can work on. Um, Victoria's had a lot of experience where she has a sunscreen project. Every All the testings come back okay, but maybe they want to change up the texture just a little bit. You can change 1% of a formula and it might tank your whole system. Like the performance will change completely. They're very sensitive and um, even the, the inky names, ingredient names don't mean that much down the road either. For example, there's quite literally hundreds of different types of zinc oxides you can buy. You know, there's surface treated, there's encapsulated, there's different things and different molecular sizes. And that all affects performance. And that doesn't even begin to cover, you know, what things you can do to your formula to help um, help your sunscreen. Because at the end of the day, it's about setting up that even fill. Um, so in terms of as a consumer, what you should look for is, well, first of all, um, your Aussie audience has it way better in the U.S. So <laughs> definitely look for a broad spectrum labeling, which is what we have in us, um, but a lot of other systems will have better UVA protection. We recommend looking for SPF range of between 30 to 50. If a product is marketing SPF 75, 99, just know that that doesn't mean that it's double the protection of SPF 50. Um, you're actually only protecting yourself from maybe like half a percent to extra. Um, and actually that brings me to the next point, which is uh, we always recommend people that in this category, texture is king, right? No one no one in their adult life, you can help yourself on what you use. You're not going to walk out. You're not going to want to look like a mine walking out. A good sunscreen is only good if you're willing to use it. Consistently. Yes. And reapply willingly. And the reality is most people do under apply sunscreen. So if you have something that's it's has all the sexy tags, so all natural, it's mineral only, this and that. But if the formula sucks, you're gonna only wanna apply a tiny little bit. And that's just not good enough protection. So we always tell people that uh the right sunscreen for you is just something you're willing to slather on over. Oh, that's good because there's some amazing brands here in Australia who are like game changing in terms of what they're doing, like ultraviolet and naked Sundays, like so good. And like me and my friends rave about these sunscreens. They're so good. Um, so you talk there about how much we should be applying. How much should we be applying and how often? Okay, so never stop. <laughs> <laughs> we did a study. And it's a, honestly, it's a very tiny study where we wanted to figure out like what would be a good measurement. Um, and obviously this, it's difficult because, you know, sunscreen packaging, the nozzle can dictate like how much, you know. So if you can apply anywhere between two, you know how they do the two finger rule? So we found that like with some of the thin fluids, it's better actually if you can even apply up to three fingers worth of sunscreen. And this would be for the face area. Uh, so anywhere between two to three. Um, and we we actually like did a whole triplicate. We had uh, the men in our lives do the study as well. And so that's the general variance of that. Um, but in terms of how to apply it correctly, um, it's meant to um, be applied for two hours worth of protection. And then if you are swimming, any aquatic sports or even sweating, we would recommend applying sooner and following the water resistance guidelines. Um, and then probably the only caveat to that is 
if you like sunscreen sprays, um, actually how that's tested is to spray the amount onto hand and apply on face instead of doing kind of the spritz. Because people forget that you still need a film, right? You need to rub in. So even if you do this, you, you're the one that tends to do this and you walk off, just give it a rub in because you it's all about the film. Yeah. That is so interesting. So you say three fingers and just for our face. What about if we're doing like our face, our neck and like general chest area? So then like maybe go the whole hand, right? <laughs> yeah, and then I, I think a good way to gauge too is this can be a little formula dependent, but if you rub once and it's already like already um, absorbed in and gone, odds are you're applying too little. Um, usually, like you know, when you should feel the need to work, yes, in, right? it should take a little bit to work in, and that's the right quantity. So when you do your body, just definitely like be a little bit more generous. And um, we always tell people so the monograph. Uh, how SPF is tested is a weight to air, uh, area of skin surface ratio. And, you know, if you weigh it out to this to the T and you apply it, like we've obviously have done that test, that feeling is it's going to be more than you're used to. So there's it's very low odds that you are over applying sunscreen. Interesting. That's so interesting because I am like not very... Are you fine with skincare, but I am obsessive about the sunscreen. As a Brit who lives in Australia, I'm like hiding from the sun permanently. But that's really interesting because I don't think I'm applying enough either. And what about things like, we talked about the application of certain products and like how to apply products. But what about things like exfoliation? You know, we spoke there, if you're acne prone, you're probably like over exfoliated in the past. But is it an important part of a routine? I yeah. love that you asked this question because <laughs> we just talked about the foundation, the three, right? And as we've, you know, been down this journey and, you know, as we learn more and more about, you know, the power of things like cell turnover, you can actually make an argument that proper cell turnover um, is part of a healthy skin, uh, is part of continuing to promote healthy skin. And so that's why you can make a case that having a good HA in your life um, can be very helpful to the routine. It's also why you find things like lactic acid and body lotions for mature skin. You know, it's because they got to get that cell turnover moving because if, let's say, skin has accumulated kind of past its due date, that's how you lead to dry skin, dullness, you know, that kind of like rough texture. Um, so... I would say, you know, this, if you were to want, uh, or trying to get into more on the active side, this might be the first place you want to dip your toes in. And you're absolutely right. I think of all the skin types out there, oily skin, acneic skin are probably the veterans that have definitely done, maybe overdone it and encountered the flakiness, you know, um, and you, you don't have to have that to reap the benefits of AHAs. On the flip side, for dry skin people, sometimes we it might feel like you're afraid to exfoliate, that, oh, my skin's already dry, like whether like exfoliating dry out further. It's actually counterintuitive. Like Victoria already mentioned yeah. that dry skin begets more dry skin because it's really a cascade. And for me, I myself as well, very dry skin, if um I get too busy and I kind of fall off like my regular exfoliation um cycle, then I can definitely feel the pain of like my skin getting drier and drier. That's so interesting. And this is so interesting because like literally this weekend I went and bought an AHA 
PHA serum from Sephora. Had no clue, walking in blind. I was like, damn, I need to talk to Victoria and Gloria already. Um, but I purchased that and genuinely it, I have found that it's helped. So there's AHAs, PHAs, BHAs. So like if we're just dipping our toe into this exfoliation uh, space, what should, what should we go for? What should we be looking for? So BHA is simple. So let's take that out the, out first. That's salicylic acid, and it's usually associated with its efficacy in acne. And you'll typically find it between 0.5 to 2%. Um, it doesn't mean that people with dry skin can't use it, but um, you it might be a little bit more drain that you be bargain for. So that's not one that I would typically recommend. Um, AHA, glycolic acid, is comes to mind. That's the the AHA to look for. Um, it's the gold standard. It's a small molecule. It's very efficacious. For most skin, I recommend starting there because it is the most uh, well known and well established ingredient. Um, start lower at five to eight percent. Um, if you find yourself having issues with glycolic acid, you know there's a little bit more redness, your skin's more irritated, then we recommend going for the different AHA, lactic acid, um, or even mandelic acid. These are bigger molecules that's going to be more mild, more gentle. Um, lastly, the PHAs. Those are for if you're very sensitive. So these are uh, gluconolactone and lactobionic acid. Uh, gluconolactone is going to be more common than lactobionic, but these are considered really really gentle they're even hydrating you can use it there was a study out there that used it at 14 percent daily and it you know is it's mild enough for skin so that's definitely what we recommend for those with really sensitive skin and i think you know the other thing to just um I, I, of all the active arenas this is one where concentration really matters and actually would also dictate how you're going to use it so you know for you know, your glycolic acids and your uh, lactic acids, you know, 5 to 10, 12 is your general range to be able to use that every night, basically. But you can find things that are going to start hitting into the 20, 30% realm. And that's really meant to do like weekly wash off max. So this is definitely a category where it's like, there's all there's way more ways that you should be thinking about how you should be incorporating it and then the amount you're getting. And then also, how are you layering that with, let's say, your retinol, your retinoid, you know? So this is a one that's kind of like a little interesting in trying to find your best routine for the AHA and just something to keep in mind. And we dedicated a whole chapter of the book to it. So there you go. It's very complex. <laughs> it's very complex, but such a great base you've given us there. And so you mentioned retinol there. You know, anybody who talks about skincare talks about retinol. Worth the hype? Should we all be using it? Worth the hype? Yes. Should we all be using it? It is a little subjective. Um, I myself struggle a lot with the side effects of retinol, um, but I think it's 100% worth the hype. The data is all there. It's, it, it sounds, someplace it almost sounds a little hokey because retinol sounds like a catch-all ingredient, right? It tackles acne, fine lines, pigmentation, the works, but there really is data backing it up in all these um, arenas. Um, again, that's kind of like AHAs. Concentration is really important when it comes to retinol. Um, it's effective, tested to be effective between 0.1 to 1%. Sometimes you see really crazy percentage claims like 2% retinol. There is no need or that is kind of a 
not very accurate claim. Um, so interesting. If you're new to retinol, because that's the prescription stuff, right? You can get those high percentages. Um, actually, I don't know about Australia, but in the states, when you go to prescription, it's a different molecule. It's not retinol anymore. It's tretinoin, which is they're related, but they're not the same molecule. And that's why when you go on tretinoin, you see that really low percentage, like 0.05%, because it's the potent stuff. Yeah, so if you're looking for retinol, I recommend starting in the 0.1 to 0.3% window and start with just every other night. You might notice some shedding and some some peeling, and that's all normal. Um, Just keep using it and slowly dial up. Like Victoria said, the, the theme is to be kind to your skin. <laughs> there is no need to jump face first into that 1% until your skin is really peeling. Um, and yeah, I think most people can take, uh, can get a lot of skin benefits out of retinol. Um, but if you have a hard time with retinol like me, um, then maybe you can use other stuff to round out your routine. You don't have to, you don't have to make your skin very suffer for the potential upside. Yeah, and of course, you know, if you're pregnant or you're breastfeeding, you can't use retinol or tretinoin. And um, so what are the alternatives that if our skin can't tolerate that or we can't use um, retinol at the moment, what should we be using instead? So we're going to throw questions back at you as in, in, as in what do you want to target, you know? Um, so let's say for, you know, wrinkles, we'd probably start looking into things like vitamin C and peptides. Uh, if you want to get into hyperpigmentation, that's a whole nother library of pigmentation uh, or tyrosinase inhibitors, um, things like that. And then, you know, if you want to do surface texture, even radiance, you know, then your AHAs can help you. Even glycolic acid at higher strengths can be helpful with fine lines and wrinkles. So, you know, there's there's other ways to kind of slice and dice and um, kind of build to tackle your um, general anti-aging skin concerns. Um, but yeah, I would say that there's definitely a cohort of people that um, honestly just don't want to deal with it. And that's totally fine. And there are, there's actually um, even um, like retinal derivatives that are now out there that can help almost be like a gentler version um, to try to reap some of those benefits. So yeah, just we would say probably the easiest way is just email us and we'll try to build that routine for you. <laughs> oh, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> and so you, you spoke a bit about vitamin C there. Yeah. That's a big thing right now. Like I've seen a lot of serums and formulas, including vitamin C. Why is vitamin C a good thing to introduce into our um, skincare routine? And is it something that we should be introducing? Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Um, but this is a category where we definitely recommend decoding that ingredient list because vitamin C is also an also category of ingredients. The one that has the most tested skin benefit is ascorbic acid. Um, but if you give the ingredient list a scan, you'll see a lot of vitamin C um, products on the market may use a different form of it. It might even just be a citric extract. Um, but that the derivatives and also the extract forms are aren't as proven as ascorbic acid. So if you're looking for a skin brightening benefit or long-term antioxidant protection, that's what we recommend. Um, in terms of why you add it to it, Victoria can tell you that it's a leap of faith. Um, vitamin C does have more immediate skin benefits like skin brightening and, and help along with hypercarcation. 
But um, the reason why it's so big is that it's one of the most potent and most established topical antioxidants that can prevent long-term uh, damage. So it's a big player in age prevention. But that means that for someone like Victoria, maybe she might not notice that immediate skin benefit. Uh, for her, it might feel like it's not doing anything. So it's that leap of faith. You have, you look at the data and you're like, it's going to help me 10 years down the road. So I'm going to add it to my routine. Yeah, I like that. That's so good to know. Um, and so we've we've also, um, like we've covered some of those products that are really big at the moment. But one of the other things is like collagen supplements that I hear people talking a lot about. You've written, you've written about this on your blog. What do you make of collagen supplements? <laughs> Gloria looks really scared now. <laughs> so yeah. the last time we did this deep dive, it was honestly a struggle. And I think the general concern around collagen supplements is how much of it are you actually absorbing and how much of that actually contributes to the beauty component. Um, and so I think... You know, our general feeling is try to look for a clinical, any sort of testing to give you any idea. And it's very brand based. So you're really going to want to look at each particular brand and the due diligence they've done to show that you can get those benefits. It's basically we're generally lukewarm um, just because there's just not enough there to say that, yes, this is um, truly you can solve, you know, yeah, you can um tackle skin concerns from the inside out i don't i can definitely say we're not there yet yeah i want to add that if you're looking for clinical tests this is definitely a category where you're looking for um more robust testing so if you see claims like 90 percent of the people agree that skin feels more hydrated it's likely that it's just a survey at the end of it and i think in the supplement category that's kind that's not good enough um so yeah uh, we've spoken a bit there about um, some of the uh, products that we've probably all seen on the market recently. But as you say, you know, this is a lot of this is driven by marketing. Um, and then you guys would, in your old jobs, you would come up with the um, solutions. But is there anything that's out there at the moment that's really you, you think we haven't covered and we should absolutely be adding to our skincare routine? Um, so I think the probably a lot, there's a lot of focus right now on niacinamide. Um, it's something we haven't covered. Um, and I'm not saying it's necessary to add to your routine, but definitely something that people probably have wondered about and have heard about a lot. And now it's actually getting put into everything. Um, so, you know, niacinamide um, is just simply known for its, you know, general skin brightening benefit. It has a little bit of data on um, oil reduction, actually pore reduction, um, and is generally a barrier care active um the problem that we have with the industry right now is that people seem to think that 10 percent is how much they need to get and actually the studies um show that you actually only need two to five percent and the problem and the advantage is that as chemists we love this active because it is the least finicky to work with out of any active out there which means it's very easy to put into everything. And one problem we're seeing right now is that suddenly people are starting to realize that, wait, I am getting way too much niacinamide, right? I have this 10% niacinamide booster. I've got it in moisturizer. People are putting it in cleansers, you know. So that would probably be one active with just 
generally want to remind people of is like, you know, just check the ingredient list, you know, comb through. We would say niacinamide and salicylic acid are the two most common actives that get layered into a lot of different products. And it can sometimes you don't realize can overdo as well. Yeah, uh, I've done that to myself before. <laughs> um, yeah, accidentally. And at least what happened for me was, um, again, because of what we do, we trial a lot of products. We have to know what's out there. And I really wasn't paying too much attention. I was just trying to test as many products as I can. And at one point, I had a uh, a cream that had a couple percent niacinamide. I had a sunscreen that had niacinamide. Mm-hmm. I had a serum that had niacinamide. And I was just, and I didn't even travel for that long. I was just kind of testing a few products. And while while it happened, it was like all of a sudden I realized my skin developed a very unpleasant texture, and I freaked out. And then back to the beginning of the podcast, I dialed back to the most basic routine humanly possible. I went back to my original moisturizer, my original sunscreen, and just took it really easy. And then did my detective work and realized that I out niacinamide myself. I was layering simply too much. And then if I cut it back to one, niacinamide works great for me. So yeah, just something to look out for. Yeah, really great advice. And so if we, you know, we've covered a few products here, but if we want to go out there and research products ourselves and find out whether it's actually worth spending money on and if it's actually going to help us, what's the best way of going about doing that? I think it depends. I think, um, first of all, like, I know nowadays a lot of people go straight to Instagram or TikTok um, to look for information. Um, we are on there too. I think we offer some pretty good advice, but uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of wild advices out there. So take what you read on the internet with a slight grain of salt um, and know that everyone has different expertise level on different subject matters. So if someone is a, I don't know, like a pediatrician that's all of a sudden speaking about anti-aging maybe be a little wary and um and so on and so forth and in terms of the more those ingredient scanning apps that tell you that your products are probably causing cancer um i just want to say that it's probably not a lot of those things are based on fear-mongering things they're exaggerated um just don't be too afraid of those things but that's not to say that you shouldn't hold your brands accountable Something we always stress is that when you're shopping, if you see things that's a little grainy or um, product formulas that look like they're separating a little bit, that probably means they underpaid a chemist or didn't pay the chemist. <laughs> and we would be a little bit worried about the shelf life of the product that you're using. Yeah. Those are some of the tips. I think the other thing um, is almost like the, the devil's advocate of what Gloria said is sometimes you you'll hear about products being bashed and we ourselves have our not so favorite products um but we always say if you found something that works it does not matter what anybody says right you already win the skin lottery because you figured out what your skin is happy with so that's one rule of thumb that we just want to make sure people are confident in their knowing their skin history knowledge you know your skin best so that's probably one thing to think about when you're shopping that's it. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that's a great point because I recently just saw a thread on Reddit where someone freaked out and was asking for cleanser recommendations because they are using a cleanser that they she, she found a bad comment on TikTok. Someone said, this cleanser is garbage. And now all of a sudden he said, I need a new cleanser. But if the cleansers work for you, then there's no need. So yeah, yeah great point. So 
things like that. Like, you know, and then the other thing is when you are shopping for a product, try to start with just one, you know, one at a time and onboard one at a time. You know, um, each of those products are rabbit holes themselves. Um, and I think that it'll make it a lot easier for you to learn whether your skin likes it or not. So uh, aside from that, it would be like, what product are you trying to shop for? And then we'll talk. <laughs> like, we <we'll> see <laughs> if we can point you in the right direction. I love it. I love <laughs> it. You guys are best. And so you say that if the price tag of a product goes up, your levels of personal suspicion around that product should go up. Why is that? <laughs> I wouldn't say I was folded to a higher level of scrutiny um, because, well, for, first of all, we set a bar to if you can get Botox with that money, if you can get four in-office micro-meaning sessions with that money, is it going to outperform that? Very doubtful. Um, and then secondly is um, some of the products that charge, I would say between the 100 and 150 price tag is worthy of scrutiny because there are products out there that go through a lot of research companies take a lot of time and money into doing their own clinical tests or getting a proprietary ingredient but in that category there are also players that pretend to have done that but but it doesn't quite hold to the level of scrutiny that they really should yeah. be held under and this is kind of goes back to what i was saying is the, this is a category where definitely ask your brand, how have their products been tested? Is it actually tested on skin? What does the clinical data say? If it's just consumer perception survey-based studies, like 90% of people agree that skin feels better, then it's probably not quite deserving of that price tag. Yeah. And one Yeah, and I would say like one of our personal reasons for even doing this whole chemist confessions journey is like my own mother feeling the need to buy an insurance policy to get something that works you know to feel like i have to pay x amount to get something that's gonna perform and honestly that is i feel like especially now the industry has changed so much where that less and less needs to be the case and i hope we can keep that dwindling that down to you know, and not have like, you know, users feel the need for that avenue. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Victoria. Thank you, Gloria. I really appreciate it. I have learned so much. I'm sure everyone else has too. No, oh, thanks so much. Ed. Yeah, lots of fun. It was so fun. And you've absolutely changed the way I think about skincare. And it's way less scary than it was half an hour ago. So thank you. And Victoria Boo and Gloria Liu are the creators of Chemist Confessions and the authors of Skincare Decoded is such a great book if you're looking for those starters to debunk everything that you've read on the internet and seen on TikTok. I will link it in the show notes so you can check it out and make sure you do and where you can get in touch with Victoria and Gloria and where you can find them on Instagram and on social media and everything. So check it out. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast, I would be super grateful if you would leave me a review and you can support the podcast for as little as $5 a month on Patreon. Get extra content. It's a really great deal. Check it out in the show notes. Thanks so much. I'm Ed Stott and I sincerely hope that's helped.